is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination, rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible-reading, gun-toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom, righteously American. Welcome to the show today, guys. I am so excited that we're going to have our next guest on. Uh, first of all, let me just tell you a couple things. Um, this guy has huge views on online social media. I was on his Twitter feed reading and giggling and enjoying myself because one thing I love is someone who's a straight talker, and he's also from the Bronx, so he has that way of sharing issues that can only come from a New Yorker. He is conservative. He's young. He's a millennial. And he has everything going for him that Republicans usually have. Looks, brains, you know, the ability to speak clearly, the ability to think through issues, the ability to hear an opposing opinion, and he's funny. So uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Benji to the program. He's got a ton of different things. He said, let's, let's start off with how can people find you online? And I think also we should share that you're going to be over here with us on Lifeset TV. Am I right? Yes, yeah, it's so funny. You're actually the first person to announce that. That's kind of been under wraps. But yes, there is a show for me in the works. I'm very excited about that. I'm in the very near future. Oh, me too. Me I'm too. excited to be among oh. you and Carl and, I mean, everybody. This is like, it's a it's a really big opportunity for me, and I'm really, really happy about it. But um, yes, I'm Benji Irby. I am a political commentator. I am from the Bronx. I am a Trump guy, conservative, former, you know, Democrat. We've all heard that story. Voted for Obama in 08 and totally regret it now. Um, <laughs> but I am I am very happy to be here, Stacey. I mean, I know about your work for a long time. I've seen a lot of your stuff before, so it's really, really an honor to be here. And I'm just I'm just super, super happy to be here. Um, and okay. as far as my Twitter, you guys can follow me on uh, my Twitter. That's my main thing. Um, real Benji Irby, real R uh, real R E A L B N J I I R B Y on Twitter. So real Benji Irby. Now, if you guys aren't following, you're just missing out in life. That's all I'll say about that. So we delve into something that you, I need other people to hear what you have as an opinion on the messaging that we're currently doing for the Republican Party. I'm the I'm on the Black Voices Coalition for Trump 2020. And one of the things we're trying to do is get a message out there that is not just quote unquote woke, because, you know, everybody likes to use the, the current slang and terminology, but it has to be something that catches a person's eye or their ear and ushers them into kind of a listening learning mode where they can hear what you have to say and then decide for themselves, uh, you know what, I I don't believe in that. That's not for me. Or, wow, I've never heard that put that way. So what what do you think about current Republican messaging specifically? Because I, I strayed away from this. That is everything's a plantation. I don't use that terminology anymore because right. it turns to right. turn people off before they have a chance to hear you. So where, where are you on the messaging front? Exactly. Uh, my issue, my only issue ever with, you know, the Trump administration and Republicans is usually in the matter of messaging, um, especially the black messaging. Like, as you were saying, I mean, the whole, you know, black people don't have to be Democrats, you know, Democrat plantation thing or whatever. I mean, that's, it's not helpful. Well, especially the plantation part is not helpful because you can't insult people that you're trying to convince, you're trying to have a conversation with. You can't start by insulting them. And it's also very much, I mean, that's very much 2016, 2018 style messaging. And now it's time to move on to 2020. What's the new messaging now? What has changed between, you know, 16 and 20? I'm thinking that we need to start talking about real issues, real 
you know, kitchen table issues. And for so many black people that live in these urban areas, why are we not speaking about, you know, what their Democratic leadership is doing and not doing for them? Like, for example, you know, I'm here in the South Bronx, 10454, so you know it's real. I'm in the hood. I'm in the ghetto. I love where I live. I don't want to change. I don't want to move anywhere. But I am, unfortunately, perilously, perilously stuck under the weight of Democrat rule and the things that they do that make absolutely no sense. As I was I'm sharing with you before the program, uh, our lovely Mayor Comblad de Blasio, he is now building a jail. Seven blocks from my house right now where we stand, there will be a jail being built because he wants to close Rikers Island. Why? Because Rikers Island, I guess, it's unfit for the criminals now. I've even heard things where they're saying they're trying to, like, you know, shorten the commute of criminals from court, from jail to court. And it's like, why are Black and Latino people's property values being put down because criminals can have a better commute. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, there are just so many quality of life issues in New York that these Democrats have just been horrible on. And I feel like as Republicans, that's where our messaging needs to come from. Our messaging also needs to be more so about um, China. We're not really, especially when we're talking to black voters, we're not really letting black voters understand what President Trump is doing, why President Trump is special, and why this China piece, which is something that Democrats and Republicans both have, you know, shirked responsibility and kicked the can down the road on for, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and why we're at a pivotal point, and why jobs coming back to our economy is something that Black people as well can be happy about. Make America Great Again, I feel like we also have not made that message a real message that black people can get behind. I mean, we've seen CNN, you know, there was a black guy on CNN who said, you know, Trump said, make America white again. We know that's a lie. We know it never happened. But unfortunately, we haven't come behind it and said, hey, you know, make America great again means this. I know for me personally, um, I have older parents. My parents are, are 66 and 76. And my father and mother, they both were born in South Carolina, rural uh, upstate South Carolina. Um, they went through a real Jim Crow. You know, they both grew up with nothing. My uh, grandfather, my father's side, died when he was 16. So my father had to work. He dropped out of school. And with 11th grade education, my father ended up moving to New York. He ended up doing a plumbing um, a plumbing uh, apprenticeship program, ended up getting a job with the state of New York um, at a mental facility, ended up moving up and moving up, and ended up his last job being a maintenance supervisor for a mental facility of the state of New York. He worked with the state of New York for 40 years. He was able to take care of me and my three siblings and my mother. Our mother didn't even work, you know, while we were growing up or whatever. And now he's living, they're living in Virginia Beach now, my parents, off, their, off my father's um, pension, and they're living fine. And unfortunately, the America that my father got his initial job in, that doesn't exist. That's the America that we need to make great again. And we need to stop, we need to take apart the messaging that the left does to whereas anybody talks about the past or anything of the past is automatically slavery. It's automatically um, you know, Jim Crow or anything like that. And no, there were good things about the past in this country. It just just because, you know, it was 50 years ago doesn't mean that everything about it was bad. Black families were much stronger 50 years ago. Black communities were much stronger 50 years ago. We actually had much more wealth as a community. It had much more control. Banks and schools and things of that nature. You talk about Black Wall Street, and they always say, oh, well, the KKK tore it down. Okay, well, why can't we build it back up? There's more Black money than anywhere now. We got Black millionaires, billionaires, all this stuff. Then why are these things not happening? Why do we have such flawed leadership, and why does everybody want to be victims? But we just have to make it to where the messaging is something that a regular person can understand because, you know, lowest black unemployment, that's cute and everything, but that's not going to cut it anymore. Like, I live in the hood. Like, you can tell someone that, but if I've been working at Home Depot, you know, making the same thing, and Home Depot is a great company, but I'm just saying, you're not going to get rich there for 10 years, and you're telling me, oh, black unemployment is down, you know, 
3.7%. I don't know 3.7 from 4.8. You know, I've lived working the same job for 10 years. So we have to make something that's more palatable and something to challenge the victimhood and the racism uh, narrative because it's very attractive. It's very attractive. It's very believable. So we have to come with truth and come with something that people can really latch on to. Wow. So I should be forwarding this uh, interview over to some friends so they can get a, a early look at you for the commentary that you just shared, because it's really important for us when, when, when we have something that we're selling. And you know this, Benji, if it's when if it's shoes, you're sh selling clothes, if you're selling ideas, whatever it is, you have to make it attractive to your prospective customer or buyer. And if you can't get them to listen to you, then you have very little chance of them ever figuring out that what you have is a value and that they want it. So you talked a little bit just now. Yeah, yeah. So you talked a little bit just about this. You go to a store or you let's say you're going to buy some Louboutins. You're going to keep it fancy, okay? You're buying some red bottoms from a Louboutin store, you know, down in West Village. When you go in that store and see those shoes on the mannequin, you can see yourself in that shoe. I can see myself, you know, in that, you know, sexy red bottom shoe or whatever. We need for black people to be able to see themselves in the MAGA movement. I feel like black people, and seeing themselves doesn't mean just a black person with a MAGA hat at a rally being antagonistic, you know what I mean, or being antagonistic toward, you know, regular, quote-unquote, woke black people and, you know, being a troll. It's not seeing it physically, but how can I see myself, my way of life, you know, I'm ratchet, I like loving hip-hop, I like, you know what I mean, like, how do I, how does that meld into what is put off as like a drum, 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 like country MAGA thing, you know what I mean? And that we have to show black people that they are Americans and they're a part of the American story too. I mean, black Americans have been here since the founding. We've been here longer than most everyone else and most longer than all the white people who came over through Ellis Island. We've been here longer than them. So really besides the actual founders of this country, and us, we've been here the longest. We have to show black people that you are America too. You can be patriotic and you are a part of the American story. There'd be no America without you. And I feel like we on the conservative side don't say things like that. And that's really all that people need to hear. Because when I'm hearing in my neighborhood, from when I talk to black folks, you know, about conservatism, whatever, I'm usually very effective. But a lot of them are saying, I just don't feel like this is something that I can be a part of. It feels like it's something, quote unquote, for white folks. And we have to change that narrative. All right. So Benji, in changing that narrative, let's let's go to one of the biggest stories from this week, which has been that Kamala Harris has dropped out of the presidential race on the DNC side. So the Democrats had a very diverse field and they were so proud of it. And they considered themselves to be the epitome of wokeness because they had a black woman, even though she's not ADOS like, you know, some of us, but she's she's black. Uh, she's got a permanent tan. And then they have Cory Booker, who is ADOS, I believe, but he's like not really resonating. He's even further down from Kamala Harris and should have dropped out before she did. But, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. So, Benji, how is it that these people are now going to have at their next debate a slate of old white people, the very thing they accuse the Republicans of being, but they're not going to be called racist. They're not going to be called on the carpet by it, except their own by their own people who are on Twitter melting down right now. But they're going to say that the party of white supremacy on the network of white supremacy, with the party being the Republicans, the network being Fox News, that we don't have any diversity and we want to keep America white when they have the exact same issue on their side as if it's an issue. You know, I don't think it's an issue, but, you know, go on. 
Well, I mean, exactly. If the liberals didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards at all. I think the most hilarious thing about this is the fact that Pete Buttigieg, who had a whole black man killed by a police officer who just didn't happen to have his body cam on, is a Democrat nominee in the top tier. It just It's really funny to me how... Um, why the DNC didn't ask him to step down? Like, Tom Perez should have been asked him to step down if Black Lives really mattered. But, you know, the hypocrites, because if you even go back to, you know, the Eric Garner thing, which is a big thing here, you know, Eric Garner being, you know, killed by the cop, the whole I can't breathe thing here in Staten Island, which is a horrible tragedy. But then Black Democrats went and reelected de Blasio. So it's like, if you're not going to show these people that you're going to do anything and all they have to say is, you know, Trump is racist, Republicans are racist, they know your bark is worse than your bite. Ah, you'll protest, you'll whatever for a couple of days, you'll be right back in. Because, you know, you're never going to vote for the other side. We know you're never going to do anything different. And that's why. So, I mean, and, 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 and what was even crazier was how the left media was then trying to blame Buttigieg not doing well with black voters on him, on them being homophobic in South Carolina. South Carolina black voters being homophobic, which is crazy to me. And they're going to gloss over this whole, quote unquote, you know, Black Lives Matter situation that, you know, they would normally be all over. But it's fine because... It's Buttigieg. And it's fine for Obama to endorse, you know, blackface, uh, what's his name up in Canada, Trudeau. And it's mm -hmm. fine to have a Democrat governor in Virginia where we don't know whether he was in blackface or the KK mask or both. But then we're all, you know, coons and racists. So it's hilarious to me. And what's even more hilarious is they feel like Americans and that black folks don't notice. Black people are noticing and they're looking. And a lot of well, them, if they don't go for us, they'll probably be staying home in 2020. Okay, so Benji, you just, you, uh, that's where I was going next. Isn't it true that the reason why Kamala Harris's campaign never took off is because the black community does not support her? Isn't it true that the reason why Cory Booker is floundering is because the black community does not support her? When the black community started supporting Hillary, she was the front runner until the black community said, actually, we're going to support Barack Obama. And then yeah. he was the front runner. So really, the tip of the spear for the Democrats on who's going to be their front runner is usually led by the black community. So without their support, you, I don't see how they win 2020. And, and the numbers, uh, the recent poll numbers that have come out showing at mid 30 percent support among blacks for President Trump. That people are calling it a fluke. People are ignoring it. CNN and MSNBC have refused to report on it. But those actually, those polls could actually be indicative of some shifting within the black community. Maybe an opportunity for Republicans to speak to the black community and for blacks in America to say, "Well, you know, I'll give it a try. I'll, I'll vote for President Trump. Let me see what he's working with." Because the Democrats certainly don't care anything about the black community. I think it's an opportunity, definitely, but I don't think it's something for us to get all, you know, crazy over. I mean, at 34%, you know, one or two polls or whatever does not necessarily mean 34% of black people voting, you know, for us in the end. This is a one-time, you know, question-asked poll. But I do think it does present an opportunity for us to be able to reach, especially with black men. I mean, there are plenty of black men who are who are actually the ones who are who tend to vote Republican. I mean, you look at even for the 2012 election, we had 21% of black men going for Romney, and we only got 13% with Trump. So there's definitely more of a place for us to improve um, our messaging. I say more so for, you know, jobs coming back in this country, jobs for men who aren't necessarily, you know, built to go work into a bank and do some sort of service job working at a bank or a hotel or something like that. You know, you want to have jobs where men can be able to work with their hands again. 
plan and do things like that. And I do a lot of work dealing with people and hiring people in the construction trades. And a lot of black men tell me that they don't get the jobs they used to get because you have, um, you know, illegal immigrants coming in and undercutting them. Why is that not our messaging from the Republican Party? Like, we need to start talking about you know, these common issues, even when you're even dealing with in New York, for example, you get a ticket in New York, and let's say you can't pay the ticket. After a month, a $115 ticket gets another $50 charge onto it. And then after a month, it gets a $100 charge onto it. It's like, why are we not talking about the way that Democrats are taxing the hell out of everybody and making it hard for regular people to live? That needs to be our messaging. We have to get that message out there. Well, I can tell you, we're talking about that, and uh, especially the immigration piece. But yes. there's such a stranglehold on what actually gets out to the larger community. It has to be that Black Americans see someone like you, someone like me, any person really, and say, let me just stop for one second and hear what this person is saying. Because I, I but you know what, Benji, I'm going to tell you, let, let, let's, let's have a little like one-to-one -one moment here. I have been shouted down by Republicans when I say that illegal aliens take the jobs of Black people. Even when I point to... Uh, studies and and articles that show that when chicken plants are raided and illegal aliens are conf you know they're they're deported that the jobs that are left 82% of those jobs go to black americans who live in the community but didn't get the jobs at first because they were undercut by illegal labor those same stories that are true they're reportable news you can google them and find them republicans establishment republicans chamber of commerce types will shout me down so when we're fighting our own people, it is hard to get the message out there, but I still think it can be done. What you're doing, uh, what so many people out there are doing in spreading the truth, it has to be that some of that is soaking in. So what other avenues, and uh, this will be our last question today. I'm I'm first, so just don't forget that, Benji. I was first. You came on my show first. Um, <laughs> you what are. other avenues do we need to go into to get this message to the Black community? As, as Republicans, Republican Party, conservatives, anybody who cares about something other than Democrats, how do we get it out there to this target-rich community that we're talking about? Because I see the Black community as our treasure in America, a group of valuable individuals who have not yet fully attained the American dream. And once we do, we're just unstoppable as a country. So how do we get it to them? Well, I think we have to be of not be afraid to go outside of our comfort zone because I know what I've seen, you know, with a lot of, and I'm really grateful for the explosion of black conservatives and the explosion of black conservatism, but a lot of it I'm just seeing really, you know, mostly like online and mostly online in places where, you know, we all are, you know, conservative Twitter, Fox News, things like that, which is great. We have to start getting outside of even the news bubble. And it's a really an each one teach one thing. I mean, there's a lot of things on the internet. I think that we should start reaching out to a lot of the, you know, black people on the internet. There are a lot of black people who do um, podcasts and who do YouTube and do things like that, and they're very influential. And there are many of us in the black community who are conservatives who watch a lot of that stuff. And you know, although we may disagree with a lot of people, you know, politically, we don't, we still enjoy their content. So I know one of the things that I like to do, one of the things that I'm definitely planning on doing is doing that sort of reach out. Go reach out to where the people are. We have to get to people. But the thing I hear the most from people in black communities is like, okay, well, Trump is here, but like no one, you know, from Trump or no one associated with Trump is here and was coming to have a conversation with me here, you know? And I think that for a lot of the National Party, it doesn't necessarily seem like an, a good investment to go into, you know, New York City, because I'm sure in Missouri, the GOP is robust there. Here, it's impotent. Like, the GOP is a hot mess here. Like, it's 
we have Republican clubs, but as far as like actually doing something, pushing a candidate, we don't even have somebody to beat AOC, and AOC is low-hanging fruit, and yet we still don't have a person to go in, and she's terrible. Her district can't stand her, but we, right now, on the Republican side, we don't even have someone to even fight against her. So really, it's so it's more so up to us as individual people, individual conservatives, let go of the of the bad rhetoric, let go of the plantation rhetoric. Let We have to stop letting our expression as black conservatives be a reaction to the hatred that we get from the liberals. Because we have to understand, and I tell a lot of black conservatives, you were just liberal five minutes ago. So you can't sit here and act like you don't know why they think Trump is racist. You can't sit here and act like you've never seen CNN and haven't seen Don Lemon looking through the camera somberly and say, the president's a white supremacist. Of course they're going to believe it, because this is all that they're hearing. So we have to come with that compassionate mindset. It has to be more about convincing than combating. And I think that that's the way that we're going to take to the next level. It's got to work. Unfortunately, at this point, we got to work underground. Mm. Well, I think working underground sounds, it, so, it sounds like almost, hmm, that doesn't sound so great. But to me, it does sound good because underground is where you're right there, you and the person you're talking to. It's real. It's where the person is less likely to shout you down, less likely to say, you know, you're racist, you're Uncle Tom, much more likely to actually hear you out. And this has happened to me many times. I, my, I had a flat tire, pulled into uh, the garage and it was owned by a black guy. And he started asking me about, this was a few years back about the banking crisis. And he wanted to know why the Republicans defended the big bankers. And he was surprised that I actually knew the answer, which was Republicans didn't defend the big banks. It was, it was much more complex than that. But in the end, he needed to hear it from someone who was willing to explain it to him. And I left there and he said, well, I'm not going to say I'm a Republican. He said, but I, you're the first person I've ever talked to who's explained to me why you vote for Republicans, why you see the banking crisis in the way that you do. He said, you gave me a lot to think about and I'm going to look some things up. And, and that was my first time ever feeling like, wow, I shared a bunch of stuff that if I say it on Facebook, I get hate. I said it to his face. We talked and it worked. So uh, you, you, you made a comment about the Republicans in Missouri, uh, many of which are my friends, especially in the Missouri GOP. But we don't do enough outreach in the inner city here. And there are people there who would listen to us. They know they, they know all the CNN talking points, but they also know that the suburbs in St. Louis looks much better than the city. They don't know why. We right. should be explaining that to them. Yeah. I get that all the time. When I talk to folks and Black folks around here, they're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. So that's what that means. I think that for a lot of us, unfortunately, we... Our issue in the black community, to be honest, is really our leadership. We have allowed our leadership to establish themselves as civil rights leaders and not be actual legislators like they're supposed to be. So instead of actually being able to question them and to be able to, you know, critique them, we have to venerate and praise them. But there still hasn't been an autopsy on Obama in the black community. So we still, no one can, st they still able to say, you know, in public that maybe Obama didn't quite come through the way he was supposed to. Maybe we should look for this better in that person. We don't do that. We don't do it with Maxine Waters. We don't do it even with, you know, Elijah Cummings, God rest his soul. It's going to be the same old thing. Now his family and other people are fighting for his seat rather than, hey, let's fight to make this better. You know what I mean? So it's, it's the same sort of thing. Unfortunately, unlike your Malcolm and your Martin, who were removed from politics, when Martin Luther King died, unfortunately, all of his contemporaries, your Jesse Jackson, your Al Sharpton, or whatever, they just basically bought and sold to the Democrat Party. And now we're all sitting here wondering, you know, what's really going on. And it's really to wake up black people and say, look, this is your country. This is no more white people's country than it is your country. This is your country. Those people work for you. You get out there, you make them work. It's not about honoring them and respecting them. Lord knows. One thing I love being on the right, 
We talk crap about Trump all the time. Look at Ann Coulter. You know what I mean? Ann Coulter, you don't get someone who's more Republican than Ann Coulter, but we're at least able to have that conversation on the left, where even if she doesn't disagree with the president all the time, we don't shun her and say, you know, Ann Coulter is no longer a Republican. Whereas on the left, you can't do that. You can't even be, you can't critique your people or anything. And it's really going to start with black people understanding what's the role of these people that we elect to government. They are not there to be superheroes and civil rights leaders. They work for you. And if they're not getting a job done for you, you can vote them out and not feel like you're going to lose your black card or whatever it is, because we run this country. We, the citizens, it's about empowering the citizens. Black people, you are powerful. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. You can work this government just like everyone else has. But we have to get this whole veneration of our leadership and, you know, this civil rights leader mentality out of our minds, because that is 50 years ago. That's not where we are right now. We have to, I always say, what is black America going to be in 100 years? I don't want to still be talking about Jim Crow in 2119. Like, mm-hmm. and with this whole wokey thing, no one ever talks about, if you notice, Daisy, nobody ever talks about what the end game is. I thought the end game was a black president. Clearly, that wasn't what it was. But now it's like, <laughs> keep dragging it and dragging it and dragging it and dragging it, where it's like, okay, what's the end game? I'm not doing white supremacy anymore. There's no such thing as a white supremacy, and that if the white supremacy was such a strong thing, then why has not our 55-member Congressional Black Caucus got gotten rid of it? Why has not our whole Obama gotten rid of it? If you want well, reparations so bad, Obama had a supermajority. He could have done that 2009, first day, January 20th, boom, reparations. These are the things that black folks need to know. Your folk are failing you. So whether you want to vote for us or not, because I'm stuck in your democratic city, at least make them do better for you. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all I ask. Well, I got to say, uh, I can see why we're bringing you on at Life Set, first of all. And second of all, we are of the unimind. I have been yelling that from the top of my lungs. Make these people give you something for the vote you gave them. I've been yelling that for years now. Hearing you say it just firms me up to keep yelling it some more. And I got to say, I'm looking forward to hearing more. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show today. Uh, oh, you're you. so honored to be here. Little brother. Yeah, I can tell. You're my new little brother. Just like I have one, Demetrius Minor. Now you're going to be number two. Yes. Exciting. Okay. So look, you're going to be back. Um, Tell people again they can find you. And then uh, we're, thank you so much for joining the show today. Honestly. Awesome. Well, check me out on Twitter at RealBenjiIrby, R-E-A-L-B-N-J-I-I-R-B-Y. And also check out my video, um, the video you were talking about, the one on Twitter, the YouTube versions at my website, BenjiIrby.com. B-N-J-I-I-R-B-Y.com. It is uh, President Trump is not racist, and I've got the receipts to prove it. It's a wonderful video. It will turn any Trump hater into a person that says that Trump's not a racist in 19 minutes. I promise you, all the receipts are there. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Okay, so we'll talk again. You have a fantastic weekend, and thanks you for joining too. us here at Safety on the Right. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Okay, so you guys, this is what we're trying to do here at Stacey on the Right on LiveZet TV, um, LiveZet.com. We want the truth to ring out, and we want to have the kinds of guests like Benji, who will be soon be a host here. Um, we want to have that here. We want to have access to that here for you, in addition to our interviews, mom moments, um, so many other fun things we're doing. So thank you for joining us. Make sure and share the show. Hit the subscribe button at LiveZet.com. And I'll talk to you again probably tomorrow. All right.